Thank you for tuning in. My name is Ambika. I'm Monisha. You're listening to Fintech Cafe, a weekly podcast that takes place with a live audience on Clubhouse. Today is episode 53, and the topic is income and employment verification. For this discussion, we're joined by the founder and CEO of Truve, Carol Klokov. Before we get started, let's do a quick round of intros. As I said, my name is Ambika, product manager in the fintech space. I've been in this industry for more than a decade, and I have worked in US, Europe, and Latin America. The show is our hobby project, and we thank you so much for tuning in. Hi, I'm Monisha, managed product strategy by day at one of the big five banks in the United States. I have been in the financial industry for almost two decades and co-host the show with Ambika. Let's now switch to our conversation with Kirill. Carol, welcome and very glad to have you here kicking off the season two for Fintech Cafe. Usually we try to start with, you know, your background and your journey. So I know currently you are a Truve and Truve provides organizations with a reliable API connections into payroll accounts for access to income and employment data. And so with what the scope of Truve has to provide, we'd love to hear more about that. But before we get into that, Carol, would love to hear your journey to Truve. It's actually a very straightforward one. I'm an immigrant, so I came to US to go to, to have a master's. I went to, I did my MBA at Stanford. When I graduated, I barely had any credit score. Actually, my credit score was 520. So when I graduated, I applied for a few loans. And I like most of us here, the experience that I had was pretty bad. Because when you apply for a loan, you have to submit pay stubs, wait for a few days. Sometimes they get back to you. Sometimes they don't simply because of my credit score. It was never good enough at that time. And I went through probably like 12 banks and a couple of lending organizations to get a loan. And it was so painful that I thought I, I would have to do something about it at some point in my career. Fast forward a few years, I'm director of product at Carta. I joined them when they were about $300 million valuation and 200 people. And the company went through a really high growth period for over about two years while I was there. We raised $600 million. And I was one of my tasks was to build payroll integrations. And I realized that the payroll companies simply think about payroll and the data that lives in their payroll systems as their own data. I don't agree with that. I think the data is owned by the consumer and the data is owned by us or sometimes by the employer. And from that perspective, when I was trying to build those integrations, it really didn't work. We spent a lot of time and effort on doing it and we didn't get too far. So I left Carta to start Truve on the premise that, you know what, I wish we should unlock the consumer permission data. And I think unlocking the consumer permission data allows a lot of interesting use cases like verification of income and employment, direct deposit switch, paycheck link loans, and many more. I, I'm happy to talk more about it, but that was sort of the career of how I went from being an immigrant and having 520 credit score to starting Truth and being the co-founder. Love it. And so, Kirill, if you were to summarize sort of the three things that you you know, what thought was really driving a need for a company like Truve, what would those be? I would say that first and foremost, there's no one solution to verification of income and employment. And I saw that, I experienced that. That's one. And the company that 
we compete with, there is a large institution that leads the market with about $2 billion in revenue. And I think the, the way they approach the data, they're partnered with the payroll providers, they acquire the data behind your back and then resell your data. I just thought that that wasn't a great solution. And then after that, I would say that's the state of the art today. After that, it's literally uploading pay stubs. By the way, if you, in front of your computer, you can simply go to Google, enter fake pay stub online, and you can buy for $7.99 a perfectly looking pay stub. It's really hard to find, to identify fraud in those solutions. And the, I would say the worst way to verify income and employment is literally making a phone call to the employer, wait for three days. So there's no great alternative to what people are doing today. And that's why I thought Truth made a lot of sense as a concept. We, we started in May with my co-founder, Eli, he's also on the call. We built a very quick and dirty prototype of the weekend went to a few clients at that time and client number three gave us a contract. And they, it was not a small contract, it was $60,000 at the time where I thought that there has to be something here. And as we talked to more companies from the lending space and the background screening space, we realized that this is really a challenging problem that needs to be solved. And we had a very nice solution, for, which is partnering with the consumer, unlocking their data with their permission and returning it back to whoever needs that data. Great. Thank you. So it sounds like, especially when you're operating a B2B space, finding that product market fit is really important and quickly. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was actually surprised because we had a scrapbook with probably 20 other ideas that we tried and none of them really worked out as well as this one, simply because when you go talk to People, nobody, everybody tells you that they're interested and it's a great concept. But when you ask for money, nobody is willing to give you their hard earned tens of thousands of dollars to a company that doesn't really exist right now. And that's what I found using about concept of truth and how we approach the problem. And it was quickly validated. Carol, you talked about fake pay stubs. I just want to share a personal story. One of the startups that I worked at, we had a problem where we, you know, we were giving out unsecured lending and so there's high risk as a result and the unsecured lending, the loan could go as high as $100,000. So it's big amount. And uh, the word got out <laughs> that this company perhaps has an easy underwriting system. And so we were hit by this very sophisticated fraud ring out of like Glendale, Los Angeles area. And uh, I used to be back then the analyst, there were only two people on the team and you know, that I got the assignment, like figure this out. And so I, we looked into like, okay, how do we approve these loans? And we looked at, you know, a human would look at the pay stub. We didn't have any algorithm that were checking for even basic things. So if a human thinks this is real or if this is fake, a human would mark so. And so this was literally like human fake pay stubs were uploaded and the person, the analyst who was underwriting, they didn't pay attention and they, a lot of these got approved. And so that led me down this route of like, where do these fake pay stubs live? And I ended up buying like 20 versions of them. And then we used those to like train some very rudimentary ML models, such as like, oh, a date cannot be on a pay stub, a date cannot be a weekend, you know, things like that. But it's, yeah, you're right. It's the world of fake fraudulent pay stubs on the internet. It's quite interesting. So, okay, moving. It's, yeah, go ahead. It's crazy that you're talk, talking about it because I was on a panel recently 
in a tenant screening space, it's when you apply for an apartment, somebody would review your credit score, your criminal history, and also your income. And somebody told me that 30% of pay stops that they see in Miami are fraudulent. Can you imagine that? It's, it's how bad the situation is. That's like today? Those statistics are today? Yeah. The, wow. Well, it's, it's about four or five months old. Okay. Yeah, that's still relatively recent. Mine are from 2017, 2018. Okay, so I think we understand the problem statement that you're targeting, but I'm still, I want to still ask about the founder market fit. Like there's one thing of product market fit. I want to ask about the founder market fit from a personal perspective. And that is, I think to this audience, it's not going to come off as a surprise that I have my own entrepreneurial dreams. And so when I look at problem statements I want to solve and how I would bring that hypothetical solution to the market, I don't think of B2B because I find B2B or business to business space as rather difficult. The sales cycle is much longer. How do you find a product market fit? How, and then it's very dependent on you know, relationships, especially if you're in the fintech space, relationships at the highest level at so many banks. So my, my question to you is from a personal perspective, as you, A, you're an immigrant, right? So how did you understand the ecosystem? How did you have enough gut to, gut to be like, no, this is, even though it's a difficult space, this is the one I want to not only target, but I feel I will be successful. Like, how do you come to that confidence? I would start with, this is not my first startup and not the first startup I worked at. I found that usually founders find companies because they found a personal problem and personal challenge that they're just annoyed about. And because I experienced it myself, I thought that I could at least solve this problem. And then whatever uh, comes after that just followed because you can absolutely learn sales as a founder. You can absolutely learn product and engineering. I think as long as you're interested enough in the problem and solving the problem and you experienced enough, you have this insight. That's what drove me to start the company. My co-founder, Ilya, also wanted to have something that is very data-driven, has interesting data set, and there's nothing I would say more interesting than having access to millions or tens of millions of pay steps as we, we do today and looking at that data in aggregate because you can draw very interesting insights about the employment trends and the income trends. So as a result, when we were talking about this idea, I knew it, it is a problem. I knew that there was somebody who's willing to give us money as, as of the first contract. And Ilya was interested in building the technology because this is, I would say this is a very complex tech that you have to build at scale because if you try to operate it at, as a one, let's say if you're operating it just on your computer, it's easy. But when you try to scale to millions of transactions, it becomes much harder from the engineering perspective. So it's an inter interesting engineering challenge which attracts great talent. And it's also a, interesting and interesting business problem that I've experienced myself. And that I was, I think was enough for us to dive into this problem and, and into the solution space and learn whatever we could learn from other people and build the relationships around the ecosystem and learn the ecosystem as we went through this experience. And I wouldn't say we're done or successful. We'll see it in the next five years when we really unlock all the consumer permission data and will help millions of consumers get better options in terms of loans, activate their checking accounts and so forth. There are many more use cases that we're just uncovering. And I think the vision is much bigger than what we do today. Nice. Okay. So let's talk about the ecosystem that you're in. 
we on this show we've had a few other competitors of yours or just you know in the in the industry that are targeting the same consumer space which is disrupting the payroll payroll ecosystem so could you help us under and all of these companies tend to also have come come about during covid which i think explains why what explains a little bit of the why so my question to you is, can you tell us a little bit about the ecosystem? What is it about the payroll space? Why are there so many fintech companies targeting? What should we as an audience be look out for? What's enticing? Great. So in terms of why there are so many companies that are tackling this problem, I think in 2020, what happened is suddenly the credit score was not as relevant as it used to be. Because a credit score is your lagging indicator. And if you don't have money to pay your interest on the loan, you have to verify income. So it was very quickly becoming a quickly, as you mentioned, the fraud skyrocketed. So business had to solve the problem. I think a few companies saw the opportunity. And if you look at any software space, there are many companies that are doing roughly the same thing. Um, the question is, how do you differentiate from one to another and why they're different? And the way we build our technology and the space we started in was very different from everybody else. We actually started in background screening. So out of top five background screeners, three use us. So the next time you apply for a job and you have to verify your employment history, probably you would use Troop. That was the space that we first went into. So we didn't start with FinTech. Then we went to mortgage. And in mortgage, we also have a very good presence. Out of top five, we have three that use us. And then as, as a result, as we were progressing, we also realized that there is a space in auto loans, consumer loans. We also have a few clients who do direct deposit switch. So really, the, I think the space and our competitors have differentiated by the first go-to-market use case. Somebody's really good at direct deposit switching. I think we're the best at income and employment verification. We keep winning the A-B test against our competition. And the reason why is we built, it's much harder to build, to read the millions of pay stops at scale than we thought. So we built an extremely strong engineering team. All of them could work at one of the FANG companies, but they decided to choose Truth and work with us. In terms of how you evaluate, in terms of how you evaluate different providers, I would say it's really coverage, which is how many employers have you logged into before and how many can you authenticate with the quality of data, whether you can return the data consistently, all payroll providers are different. Their systems are built differently. Some of them have bugs and some of them have pretty serious bugs. So you have to account for that. And then finally, it's, it's really about the service and the quality of the team that you're going to be working with, because even though the, there are few companies that are doing it, the industry is only a couple of years old. So you are wanting, as a, somebody who is picking a solution, you want to look at not only the company that has the best product today, but has the best trajectory. And I feel Truve is in a really good, good trajectory in terms of market adoption and improving the quality of our product. Got it. So in the past, my experience, especially around income and employment verification, has mostly been with the work number, which is owned by Equifax. So would you say you're a direct competitor to the work number? I would say in some spaces, yes, in some spaces, less so. Let's say in mortgage, we are directly competing in consumer and auto lending, we're directly competing with the work number and we substitute them quite a few times. I would say in the background screen, we're more augmenting what the work number returns and we try to save 
I mean, if you're applying for a job, you don't want to wait for four or five days for somebody to call your former employer to verify employment history. So we solve that problem really well where you don't need to wait for days. You can verify employment history instantly and move on to start the job. Yeah, which is helpful. Value add to the economy. Another, num another thing with the work number back when I used it, it was that the work number is not a you know CRA. It's not a credit reporting agency. So the information that I was getting, it was solely just to validate the information that the customer had provided. I couldn't use it for you know for more like credit credit underwriting purposes, whereby like whatever the work number whatever the work number was reporting, that is what I will use. It was more like is it between five or six or whatever standard deviation or not. And so my question is, are you a credit reporting agency? Is True a credit reporting agency? And if not, are you planning to be in the future? We became a CRA in May. And that was driven primarily by some of our clients who said, we have to be a CRA to work with them. The reason why is they make underwriting decisions based on this data. So we have to be the bottom up. And being a CRA does create liability, but also it creates an opportunity to have a tighter partnership with a, with a client because they're looking for somebody who can guarantee the quality of the data, that the data was properly released by the consumer. So we partner with lenders primarily as a CRA and we partner with, say, background screening companies primarily as a data furniture, which is makes us FCRA compliant. We're not necessarily a CRA in that case because they are a CRA. Nice. Well, that's a win for you being a CRA, because now your services are much more valuable to the lender. So that's great. Congratulations. <laughs> we'll see about uh, that. I, I mean, I, I heard it's like lawyer, a... Yeah, go ahead. No, when I told my lawyer I want to become a CRA, I think they were not very happy about that. Yeah, because now you're liable for the data that you're furbishing, which to me, as a user, as a, you know, your buyer is great, because I need someone to attest the data quality. Okay. Got to stand by <laughs> by the quality of your product. Right. Okay. So I have one last question and then I want to hand it back to Manisha for her segment. And my question is around a little bit around, like, as you are scaling, especially related to CRA, could you talk to us about what are some challenges as you've tried to scale your company? I know you've raised series A, you're still relatively early in the journey, but you have a lot of momentum already built. So could you tell us a little bit about some challenges as you scaled thus far? I think because we compete primarily with the instant API-based solution clients. And we work with industries like background screening and mortgage and consumer and auto lending. Some of the mature industries in the United States, when you come and tell them, hey, we will ask your consumers to enter their login and password, we'll log in and ask them into their payroll provider, extract the data and return it back to you in under a minute. Usually the first question is, do people even remember their credentials? And the answer is strong yes. We actually, our success rate is as good as the work numbers. So from that perspective, that was the biggest friction point. Getting the first few clients to be convinced that this makes sense, testing that out, and then becoming a referenceable clients who actually can tell, tell the next client that, yes, this technology works. It works. It returns exactly the, the same data from the same system as uh, the, main our, the main competitor that we have. And... That are, these are all the problems of early stage startups and early, early industries where you have to convince clients that this thing would even work. I think now we're past that point, clients know that this works. So it becomes more of a, how do I pick the right provider for my use case? And what else do you offer that I can buy from you? Great. Thank you. 
All right. Carol, I'm going to switch into customers and maybe even go back to the days when Carol, the Stanford graduate, was looking for credit, right? And the score was as low. How do you see that that Carol would have been, you know, in a better position today because of what True was doing? I was on Cloud9 about seven months ago when I moved to Miami. I wanted to buy an apartment here. So I decided that I'm going to apply for mortgage because the interest rates are so low. When I applied for the mortgage, I actually verified my income through Truth. It was done in 40 seconds. I was so happy. It's the best thing when you can use your product and you can use your product to solve your own problem. So I think I made the full circle compared to the Kirill who had 520 credit score and could apply for a loan, had to wait for, for days and days to, for somebody to review the pay steps. I entered my credentials, we used Ripplink, and it just worked. It was really awesome. Customer success story, check that box. <laughs> awesome. And then just in terms of customers directly for True, would you be able to just talk a little more about how you find your customers and what's your acquisition strategy? It's a lot of enterprise sales. So that means you have to find people who are coming from the industry, understand the industry inside out, can be consultative for our clients, explain to them, understand their problems, their current state, understand their future state, help them bridge that gap and understand their, the business value that you bring to the table when you implement something like Troop. So it's, the sales cycles are not fast, I would say, but at the same time, it's worth it because if you sell to somebody who is one of the largest mortgage companies in the US, suddenly your revenue boost is, is pretty big. And we did the analysis. So if you look at say top five, the top five clients in the space generate as much revenue as the bottom 2000. So that's, that's just the power law of distribution in, in the industries that we work with. So yes, it's uh, it's a lot of enterprise sales, but we have an amazing team. and. Our team has been incredible at finding the value for our clients. So we haven't seen any churn as a result. Everybody became referenceable clients. And I really enjoy, I grew to enjoy doing the enterprise sales. It's a very interesting, fun problem to solve. Not very often can you, I mean, I know you said sales is easy, but I don't think not many people can wear the two hats of product and sales, but that's good to know you have fun with that. And in, in terms of the, product strategy or growth strategy with your clients. I know you said you'd expanded your products based on what you were hearing from your clients. So are you focused more on growing deeper with these clients given the long sales cycle, or you're looking to provide continuous, you know, broader product offerings? Just curious about that growth strategy or approach. We actually have two portfolio of products. One is called verification. We verify, verify employment history and verify income and employment. So in that category, we just keep trying to solve the problem 100%. So let's say if we solve percent the problem 35% of the time, how do you get to 100%? And you need to bring more solutions and more ways to get the data in an alternative way. So that's on the one hand. On the other hand, we have a portfolio of products which we call Grow, which includes paycheck link loans, earned wage access, direct deposit switch, those products are primarily helping our clients accelerate their growth in their portfolio of, say, uh, becoming a, f a primary checking account. That's one of the metrics that banks track 
when somebody was moving to their direct deposit, usually that checking account becomes the primary checking account. So we have very different strategies for these two portfolio of products, income and employment verification, we just want to get to 100% of the solution to the problem. And for grow, we are looking at adding more products to that portfolio so clients can buy more from us and help. So we can help them accelerate the growth with better insights, better product quality, and better solutions. Great. Thank you. That's helpful. And then in I think Ambika and I were talking earlier about this, but how do you also tackle partnerships in the space? Because that gives you better coverage sometimes when you're thinking about growth. When you say partnerships, what do you mean? It could be partnerships in terms of the offering. And Ambika, I don't know if you wanted to chime in. I know this came more from your side. Yeah. So at work, one of the use cases that I had worked on was, let's say, when you, you mentioned checking accounts, so let's use that use case. When you're applying for a checking account digitally, the bank also requires that you fund the account before they give you access to online banking, right? So you need to fund the account, let's say either by a credit card, debit card, or by connecting to, a, to an external bank account. Well, I guess the fourth would be if you already have an account with that bank, you could also fund through that bank's another bank account. But let's say you are choosing the option of external connection, so ACH. And for that, the you know, IRS, the OFAC guidelines required that one bank has to confirm that you are the owner of the other bank account that you're trying to connect. So then you can onboard like a company like Plaid or MX and just basically to confirm that you own the other bank account, there's sufficient funds. And then you can execute the transaction using the payment rails. So I was just, when Manisha and I were talking, I presented a similar use case to that and I said, it would be great if companies that are also disrupting payroll, if, we're, if they were to also do partnerships with income verification providers, not income verification, sorry, instant account verification providers, because then for me as a bank employee who is tasked to get somebody to open a new checking account, get it funded, and then also get direct deposits switched, like for me as that product manager, it will be, you know, everything in one instead of like having different MSAs with different fintech companies. So that's what that was brought. That was a context. Hopefully that helps. Yeah, that's very helpful. Thanks for, thanks for the context. We have a partnership that we haven't announced. Out of the partnership that we have been public about, we have a partnership with Experian for income and employment verification. So they, they have an instant solution that they spend hundreds of millions of dollars of building and they use us as a backup. We also partner with companies for example, bland in the mortgage space and a few others that we haven't announced yet in, in the mortgage space where we become a part of their portfolio. So when you say go to a mortgage lender and mortgage lender wants to buy credit and they want to verify income and they want to verify insurance and they want to verify by, for example, flood insurance, we become one of that pieces in that portfolio of products that clients can buy. Um, in Blend's case, for example, it's it's a complete solution. It's a great POS that solves problems for a lot of clients in in the mortgage space and now consumer lending. So we're being embedded into that product. So we get through that partnership a distribution that somebody was building for ten years and has penetrated the industry like nobody else. Nice. Yeah. I mean, Blend is a wonderful example for POS for mortgage. So that's great that you already have that partnership embedded. Another one I wanted to ask related in the space with financial institutions, and I'm familiar with one 
as is Ambika, things are slower to move. There's a lot of, you know, conversations around the buyer build. How do you, you know, tend to pitch with some of the potential customers in the financial institution space? I think it all comes down to is there enough value that you can deliver for this financial institution so it doesn't make sense for them to build internally? And to be honest, our tech, to building internally our tech is, is very hard. It's, uh, as I mentioned, the, the team that you, we have a team of almost 35 engineers that support day-to-day operation of this product. It's a big build that if you want to, if you decide to build it internally. So now if you align your product to the value that you provide for the financial institution, then it becomes, I mean, it's a slower low sales cycle, but at the same time, we've seen situations where some financial institution bought from us within four or five months, which is usually unheard of. That means there is a pain that needs to be solved and that there's a problem, a burning problem that has to be solved. So when financial institution is really interested, they can move fast and they understand the value, they can move fast, which is usually not the case with this as a category overall. Yeah, I, and I guess I should have said buy, partner, or build. But yeah, that makes sense. And, and, and curious about some of the KPIs that come up in those conversations, Carol, because I would imagine being able to convert at a fairly short rate, like Ambiko is saying, is probably pretty enticing for them, but would love to hear your take on, and you mentioned, right, you you do A-B tests and your product tends to be superior in performance. So we'd love to hear some of those metrics or at least high level direction on how some of that plays out. Sure, in terms of KPIs, usually you start with the client's problem. Let's say they have a goal that they're trying to accomplish and they are not sure how they're gonna get there. If you provide them the solution that solves that problem, they're very interested in hearing you out. So that's the first step. And the second step usually comes down to how do I pick one of four or five companies that do roughly the same thing, how do I pick the one that I want to work with? And that's where I think our sales team has been excelling in terms of explaining to UFI how to evaluate and educating them and thinking about the coverage and conversion and asking the right type of questions. Like for example, how secure your API is. We're SOC 2 type 2 compliant and we're very obsessed with security, which is very important for the bank. And when you when they send you a security questionnaire, you can usually see that through that security questionnaire. They look at it, at our answers, and they realize that, yes, this company, even though it's two years old, they do take uh, consumer privacy seriously. They do understand how to build a secure APIs. And that's why, especially when you partner with somebody like Experian, after the fact, when you go to financial institution, they give you a little bit of credit for doing that because they knew that they know that they you went for a very rigorous security evaluation. So that's that's the other aspect that usually wins financial institutions over. And when it comes down to a simple A-B test or time to value, I think we we have proven again and again where, with referenceable clients that we actually can beat the competition in not in a theoretical match where somebody sends us say top 10,000 employers and we try to tell them whether we can log in into that employer or not, but actually in a head-to-head competition where somebody looks at our data and send 50% of traffic to us, 50% of traffic to somebody else and see the results. And as you do more of those, you see, you see clients becoming more comfortable talking also about it to 
the next client and the next client. And as a result, when financial institution evaluates, they're looking just for somebody who've done this enough times or somebody who've done it before them to not take an additional workload because integrating two solutions takes a lot of time. Yes, integrating two solutions does take a lot of time. That's why actually that conversation Manisha and I were having before this call about partnerships. Okay, so I, I, what do we have? Six minutes left to the moderated session. I have a couple more questions. So I'm visiting your website. There's a heavy focus on developer, developers and you know, developer portal, the API documentations. I wanted to ask you a few questions around the developer side of the house, if that's okay. Yeah, of course. So your, your product is essentially an API, which is a technical product. And when I think of a fintech company that had an API product and has successfully built a strong brand, brand recognition, I think of a company like Plaid. And when I think of, you know, when I, when I think about how do they do this, I can't help but like talk about how strongly they focused on the developer community, how much they were active or how much they are active in the developer community. So I wanted to ask you, as you also scale this API product that you've built, how are you looking at the developer angle, developer adoption, developer engagement, not just within your community or your partner's community, but also the wider developer community in general? That's an excellent question. We, I would say we're much more focused on right now on going to business and explaining the value. And then developer experience a lot of times comes as a supporting experience. But when we finish the integration, we always go back and say, can you give us feedback? And we have a whole team working on just the developer experience. If you follow our docs, they change every month. I would say they change every week. We add new endpoints and we constantly obsess over how do we make that experience and implementation time faster. So originally when we just got started, we would get a lot of support tickets and, client, and clients would not really understand how to integrate. Most recent client went live by themselves without, I think they forgot to tell us that they're going live. So we didn't, or they didn't want to do a kickoff meeting and they would just went live in three weeks from start to finish without talking to us. And then they suddenly asked for production keys. We gave them production keys and it was working out of the gate. I think that's really the testament to the, how much work they have, our development team has done on making sure the developer experience is really good. Talking about the community, I think two years in, we're just scratching the surface on building the developer community and overall community around Truth. We have not been investing in marketing heavily. And since a few folks joined over the summer, we're, that's on the road now. We're going to you're going to see more events from us. We're going to probably do a hackathon. So I'm really excited about the development around building the best engineering and developer experience in the next six months. So stay tuned. There's going to be more, way more coming out of Truth and Truth's team in terms of developer engagement. Awesome. Lovely to hear. Yeah, you have Colton, I think. He's the one who brokered this conversation today as well. We're friends. One last thing about developer community and as you also look for adoption within the developer community. I am somewhat engaged in the open source software industry. So I wanted to get your thoughts of like any chances that Truth may consider open sourcing any part of their tech stack or yeah, just curious to get your thoughts about open source industry and contribution contributing to open source. We actually do contribute to open source a lot. So oh, really? Well, one of the, the interesting... GitHub page, Colton. Well, one, of, one of the interesting, 
it's it's actually one of it's not that we open source our code, but because we use a lot of public libraries, engineers are very excited about. For example, uh, we use uh, a thing called Puppeteer. It helps us navigate, create, open the browser, and manage the browser. And one of our developers found a bug in Puppeteer, and he went to that open source library and fixed it. And apparently, a lot of people were running into that bug simply because they it, it was just very it was very much of an edge case. So somebody would run it, it would the browser would fail, and they couldn't understand why. So he went all the way down to the code within that library, fixed it, submitted PR, and uh, I mean he got a lot of kudos from from the developer nice. community for, for that specific library. I think we'll do more around specifically like open sourcing some of our core technologies, but that's still TBD when we're going to do that. Right. I mean, it's a long road, but I'm glad that you're thinking about it. So thank you. Manisha, we have one minute. I think over to you for your last segment about revenue models. Yeah, I was going to, or, you know, our favorite question, Carol, is always about a bit of a blue sky one. So you did mention early on, there are so many things, the possibilities are just beginning for Truve. So it, when Truve is immensely successful, what do you see the world looking like? I think a lot about this. So if you think about all the silent data that lives in desperate, like in, in, in a lot of systems like payroll and bank, bank, and you as a consumer need that data to get a better offer somewhere else. That's what we're really, I mean, it gets, gets me excited that we can, if we can solve that problem, overall, it, our world would become much more, much better in, in, because the consumers will have more options. And usually optionality, like you could apply for more loans in one go and get a better interest rate. Or you could, for example, connect your payroll account so that you could deduct money directly from your paycheck. So as a result, your APR would go down. I think a lot of those use cases are still to be discovered, still to be built. And I'm excited about helping other companies figure it out. And in a world where everything is consumer permission, no data is traded back behind your back, usually I think that breaches and situations where your data ends up who knows where will become less and less common. So we want to give power back to the consumer of owning the data and sharing the data when they want to share the data and also possibly get the data back when they don't want to share the data anymore. Awesome. More power to that vision. I look forward to that slowly unraveling. But thanks for sharing. With that, Ambika, we open up for questions from the floor. Really excited for everyone joining us today. At this point, we'd love to have you join us on stage or send us questions through the back channel to ask questions. And I have one already. Isaac, thanks so much for joining us. We also have the lobby chat. So if you want to throw a question there, that works as well. But I know we have Isaac on stage, so we'll start there. Do you want to introduce yourself, Isaac, and welcome? Hello, and please feel free to ask your question. Thanks for having me. Great session, and, and Kiru, thanks for finding time to, to participate. Um, your love, Truve, and the mission, and, and everything you guys have done, because credit is, is an incredibly important space. Yeah, as an immigrant myself, and having been through similar experience to what you described, I'm, I'm excited for every digital transformation or technology disruption in the credit space because I think it's truly impactful. So 
I ask you one of the questions that I like asking founders that I that I like, right? Like, so you know, Truth covers well north of one hundred twenty million people right now in the US, and even though you, you're in the early stage of your, it looks like the path is there for you guys to actually truly grow and make significant impact, right? Along the lines of your mission, what what's the plan to potentially include like the crowd, right? Like, so the community of users or that benefit from Truth in your, yeah. You know, in an investment in truth without necessarily waiting till you get to become a public company because it's now becoming, you know, farther out for companies to actually go public, right? People are staying private longer. So what's your, are you guys intentionally thinking about allowing, you know, like a crowd raise or an angel syndicate to participate in, maybe you guys did in your, in your series A or in subsequent rounds that you've been doing, if you can share, that would be good. We closed our Series A in March. We decided that this time around we'll go for professional investors, Isaac. So we raised $25 million from Kleiner Perkins and Nika, amazing investors. If you're an entrepreneur, definitely recommend working with those two organizations. In terms of crowdfunding, I think crowdfunding is, is a good segue for a lot of companies. I think for a B2B software that might create additional challenges, unless it's something like a syndicate for Angelist. And I honestly, I haven't looked into this closely at any point in my career. And probably that's that me just being a lousy entrepreneur, because I think that does create an opportunity to bring in community into your company and leverage not just the professional investors, but the community as well. I'll, I mean, send me a DM. I would love to just understand how that works and look into it closer when we do Series B. Sounds good, Rhoda. Thank you very much, Kira. Thank you, Isaac. Next on stage, we do have Roland. Thanks for joining us today. We'd love to hear your question for Kirill. Thanks, Manisha. Thanks, Ambika. Hi, Kirill. Great talking to you. Two questions. So you said fundamentally you're focused on B2B, effectively making the business your customer. What is the key problem that you're solving for business and what is it that leads them to adopting your solution? That would be my first question. And then I'll come back after that with the second question. Sure. We have two parts to our product portfolio. One is called verification. So that's verification of income and employment, verification of employment. So effectively, when you do verification, you reduce risk risk for underwriting, risk for hiring a person who lied on the resume. So we help, in that case, chief risk officer or chief somebody like chief people officer to make, make better decisions. So that's one part of the portfolio. The second part of the portfolio is grow where it's called, for example, we have direct deposits, which let me walk you through the, what experience would look like for the consumer. You open an app and you open a new checking account and what's important for the financial organization is to activate that checking account, meaning that checking account becomes the one where your direct deposit lands. Switching that, like switching capability between banking accounts through payroll has been historically a high friction process. Just to give you a perspective, average American switches their primary banking account one in 17 years. That's quite crazy if you think about it. And the reason why it's, it's a lot of friction of first moving your direct deposit, but then also moving all your bills. So at least we solve half of the problem very well. And that's what we 
do for a financial organization when we help them accelerate the metric that they call primary checking account. So I hope that answers your question, Roland. Yeah, perfectly. Thank you, Kirill. So kind of following on from that question, if you're doing verification of employment and thinking not so much about where the world has come from, but rather where the world is heading and having, you know, recently had the great resignation or so it's called, we see more people going into independent professions, contractors, freelancers, etc. How would this solution be fit for that kind of market where an individual may have more than one employer uh, and how would that fit in with your product evolution? We have about 20 gig economy integrations. Like if you, for example, work for Uber and Lyft and DoorDash and you decided also to do Instacart on the side, you can still connect all of those four income sources through Truth in one place and we will aggregate all that income and show you as a one income source. So I think our solution really is focused on how do we unlock the consumer data with their permission. So whether it's the income sources, gig economy, Upwork, or say you are unemployed or you have a disability, we can still take care of it. If you're self-employed, we can, for example, log into your TurboTax account and extract your tax return so we can show at least some version of income statement that we can return back to the lender, for example, that can verify that your income is as much as you stated. So our solution fits in perfectly in this new world. It has no problem. It, it, all, it all becomes just down to like, can we integrate with that income source or can we not? And we have over 12 and a half thousand integrations that are active today and they keep growing every month. Thank you, Kirill. Just one final thing. One of the last questions you answered from the moderators was regarding information asymmetry. My question to you would be, do you see the potential to leverage Truve for other use cases of information asymmetry beyond financial services? Can you tell me more about what do you mean by information asymmetry? So, I mean, you, you talked about giving the customer greater optionality through ownership of their data, right? Let's leave the employment scenario, the financial services scenario, and just switch to a completely different space, which is healthcare. Today, until recently, uh, the average American could not move the healthcare data, the medical record with them from place to place. That would be a scenario of information asymmetry, wouldn't it? Oh, yes, absolutely. I think uh, now I understand your question. Thanks. This is a great question. Siloed data exists in all industries, healthcare, financial services. There are so many problems that could be solved with this consumer permission model. At the same time, I think we as a company, we need to stay focused on some type of a client. And we decided that for us, it's going to be primarily financial institutions and financial service companies, fintechs, and in addition, background screening companies, simply because they solve roughly this very similar problems. There are companies, if you go to Crunchbase or you Google it, there are companies that actually do aggregate healthcare records and they do it very successfully. I don't know, maybe in, in the distant future, we'll look into the, at this problem and realize that we could 
actually be competitive and we could we could log into your healthcare provider and aggregate all that those records that's not an immediate roadmap but it could be we'll see we'll see what the future holds thank you very much i'm done thanks roland thank you roland william we have you on stage next do you want to ask your question introduce yourself please first yes hi very nice to be back and nice to see you too again i missed the last one so there's a few weeks so and nice to meet you carol so my question i think you sort of answered my question first question you you certainly had integration with all of those payroll companies adp gusto and you went further integrated with uber and and all that that's great so first question solved and second question so do you it's a to be business for you and do you how do you see consumers and end users employees their role in your growth strategy i mean obviously you have to respect the law whatever sentiment you know but for your business if a company wants to adopt your solution you, you get a deal so i wonder how's your growth strategy especially speaking facing consumers do they play a little bit role in it or not thank you it's it's a great question because we started as with a slightly different idea when we were fundraising with a slightly different vision but we quickly realized that clients who work with us they paid sometimes up to a few hundred dollars to acquire those clients so it's their clients and we just have to be the best pipe into the data and the, provide the best insights that come along with that data for our clients. So being consumer facing or building anything consumer, like where we work with the consumer directly, and I think it would be just unfair to our clients because it's their consumers. We obviously remove the friction. For example, if you logged in into one application and you're trying to log in into another application somewhere else, and we have identified you as the same person who would can't hold you and streamline that experience. But I don't think we have a play. We're B2B, B2B to C company. And where consumers definitely are engaged today is they have to enter their login and password. They have to trust this thing that they see in front of them. So as a result, we build a very straightforward, simple, beautiful interfaces that make them, you know, almost not notice that truth exists. And that's always has been the idea is like, how do I get you from point A to point B in the shortest period of time and with a least amount of friction. So we think about consumers as our end users and we try to serve them the best way possibly, but we are a primarily B2B company that has to respect our clients and has to respect their acquisition strategy that they spend millions of dollars on acquiring clients. Cool, thank you, appreciate it. All right, thank you, William. We do have a question in the chat channel, Curl, and so this one's coming from Heather, who's in the audience. The question is, does Truve have a solution for student population? Heather, what do you mean by student population? If you don't mind, mind me clarifying. Yeah, do you mean I, something like that, something that helps students, like for example, refinance their loans better? Or does it mean that somebody can verify their, say that, that they have a degree from a particular institution? The latter. Yeah, sorry. She was texting me, so I have some context. So yeah, you're, you know, you have three 
your use cases are three. One is income and employment verification, employment history, and direct deposit switching. So her question, at least from the text message exchange that we had, she's specifically asking, what if I wanted to confirm someone's you know, education, either they're currently enrolled or they went to that university. Does that also something true support today? Actually, there is a company that solved that problem. I think 99%, they have 30, the number of institutions in the U.S. is limited. I think it's around 30,000. And all of them contribute data to that organization on a pro bono basis, simply because they don't want to verify and provide transcripts for somebody's history of education. So as a result, it's it's a very straightforward API approach where you can just go to that one organization and they can provide you back through an API for a small fee that, say, I went to Stanford. The challenge with something that we solved, there is about 20 million employers in the United States. And our estimates, there are about 50,000 companies that use some version of a payroll provider that's customized. And then there's another few hundred payroll providers that are worth integrating with. So we're just scratching the surface on our vision. And I think getting to the student verification is, it might be on the roadmap somewhere in the future, but I don't think it's going to be something that we'll immediately focus on because there's a good solution that is not that expensive. What's the name of the one? Sorry, I missed it. I'm blanking on the name right now. I think okay. it's a student, a student clearinghouse. Ah, okay, okay, got it. And then I have a question, which is not in the chat, but it's from a friend of yours. His name is Vabhav. He's in the audience and he tells me that you both work oh, together hey. at Carta. <laughs> yeah. So he's texting me. He says that he's in a meeting, so he can't come on, but he has a question for you. And it's a question that I for forgot to ask and should ask. And that is, tell us about the culture, the people at Truve, the company you're building. He's curious to understand, you know, just the characteristics of the culture you're building. Oh, I, I love this question. So Truth has, um, obviously I, I, I spoke a lot about our mission, but I didn't talk about how we deliver on that mission. And we have six values that we live by every day. One is bias for action. Another one is customer obsession, good judgment, focus on the impact, winning as a team and continuous improvement. And I think the culture is very similar to, we, we try to apply these values every day. I I would say that the team that we have is really focused on the outcomes and just getting things done. So bias for action is number one. We, I sp spend a lot of time with our clients, understanding their problems, understanding how they think about truth, how they think about their world and helping them solve their problems. The other one that I wanted to call out is like winning as a team. The team that we, I'm, I'm sometimes humbled by the quality of and the type of folks that joined us on this on this journey. I I couldn't be more grateful for the team that helps us build truth. It's an incredible team. And I think whenever you go to any group meetings, you see that it's not like me, me, me mentality. It's about we, we, we mentality. How do we win as a team? How do we not lose as a team? And the last one is really about continuous improvement. We track everything religiously, all the metrics. We know every day, how do we get better? as an organization, as a product, and you can see the trajectory and it's, it's a compounding trajectory over time. I'm, I can talk about culture all day long, but I think it's really focused on just being focused on the outcomes and have 
coming to work and doing the best work of your life and making sure that as a team, we solve our clients' problems. So it's, I think this is, this is not very different from if you pick any other company in Silicon Valley, but I think this is what brings the success if you le- really live and die by those values instead of just putting them on the website and, you know, and not doing anything about it. And you're going to be developer focused early on. <laughs> I will add that one too. <laughs> okay. Awesome. So we're top of the hour. I want to ask you last thing actually is about how can we help you? Are you hiring? What are the main roles you're looking for? Is it remote? Just last plug about hiring. Yes, we are absolutely hiring. We have probably like 20 positions open on our website. So if you go to truth.com slash careers, you'll see one of those. I think if you have a job that I, th- I think, let me, let me take that back. I think truth is a very special place and being part of something that solves a very big problem in a very, in a market that didn't have a lot of iteration or didn't, hasn't changed in the last 20 years. And suddenly there's a lot of innovation happening. It's a very exciting time to build a company like Truth. So I would love to have you join the ride and let's talk. I'm available on LinkedIn, text me or email me. I'm Kirill at Truth.com if you want to chat. That's all for today. Thank you for listening. If you like the discussion, we welcome you to join us during our live shows every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific on Clubhouse. We'd be delighted to have you there. You can also find other episodes on all major podcasting platforms, such as Spotify, Apple, Google, Audible, wherever you get your podcasts. We'd appreciate if you could leave us a review and let us know how we're doing. Until next week, be safe. Thank you.